And now, deep thoughts. Hey, it's Matt Schantz with the Deep Thoughts Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to have deep conversations on topics of faith that help you in fostering deep discipleship to Jesus. I've got two guests on the podcast today, a power couple of sorts, Jeff and Alyssa Bethke. Uh, Alyssa and I are in a master's cohort together through Western Seminary. Uh, She's the author of Satisfied and has just turned in the manuscript for her latest book, Her husband, Jeff, released a spoken word video on YouTube back in 2012 called Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus that has since been viewed over 35 million times and and led to the writing of his New York Times bestselling book, Jesus, um, and then that symbol for greater than, Jesus greater than religion. Uh, They live in Maui, have three kids, uh, run some businesses and ministries together, including family teams, which is all about equipping families to live as a multi-generational team on mission. And it's the main topic of our conversation in this episode. This was a super fun and insightful conversation that I can't wait to share with you. So without further ado, here's my deep conversation with Jeff and Alyssa Bethke. So thanks for coming on the podcast, you guys. Thanks for having us. Nice. So international podcast. It's very international. Is this the first time we're doing Canada? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've obviously talked to humans in Canada before. Well, sure, but, but I don't know. Okay. Yeah, but you know, yeah, it's fair. How do you find humans from Canada? Any different? You know, it takes a while to find them and search for them. But what I what I tend to do is I tend to sniff out for maple syrup. I tend to I tend to sniff out for the the weird way people say the letter A. Um, I tend to sniff out, you know, weird. Just it's okay to say weird. Yeah, it's not yeah. the, right, it's the wrong way to say it. But but that's how I tend to find the Canadians. Sorry, we usually give it away by saying sorry a lot. Sorry is a great. Sorry is a great uh, one. Yeah, sorry. Eh? The only that's the, the only weird thing that makes it weird is Minnesotans closely get very yes. close to you guys it's yes. the only state in the nation where it's like is are you canadian yeah but they're not yeah. yeah i mean for 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 me as a canadian jeff just to push back a little bit like when i go other places in the world they think i'm american and i'm like no 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 you know i'm I would say you don't, you don't have much to be really clear actually a lot of canadians will wear like a canada flag on their backpack just so people don't assume they're american yes. i don't know what that is about us america has pros and cons, but you don't sound to have much of an accent. Here's a fun debate I have with friends and you and the podcast listeners can agree or disagree. I would consider the Pacific Northwest. So in, in California, so California, Oregon, and Washington, Idaho, Montana, maybe I would consider that area to be accent neutral. Would you agree or disagree? Meaning I think that is actually the baseline sounding of, oh. of English. <laughs> but I think anything outside of that is, 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 has flair on it. But I think that there's no flair, meaning I think it's actually yeah. the baseline accent or I no think, accent. I hear what you're saying. I think like to me, I agree with you. I think that's obvious. Like I, that, That's how it seems to me. That's how I interpret it. And yeah. yet what's news to me when you leave your little area of the world, you're like, oh, we all have accents. Like I'm the weirdo with yes, the but accent. I'm only talking about with English though. But yeah. I really feel like we, I feel like the neutral, that's what I'm saying. Like we don't have an accent. 
I think Southern people would say they have an accent. Yes. Right? Sure. Right? I got uh, uh, Northeast would say they have an accent. They'd admit it. Because see, people from Seattle would be like, I have zero yes, accent. I think, I think we are the yeah. baseline neutrality of English. Yeah, another, way, another way to say it is we talk English in the most boring way. Like, you know? Yeah. Most that's interesting that's sounding. That's so I mean, straight. I wish I had a Southern accent. I thought, I thought where you were going with that, bringing in California, Oregon, Washington, and, uh, and us in BC, like Pacific Northwest, is we yeah. are very alike. And then, yes. so like a lot of people from Oregon and Washington, it's like, I feel like very kindred with them and they might feel more kindred than, with us than some people from the South where they're like, that's a different oh, world, right? So 100%. yeah, we got yes. a lot of affinity, but um, you guys are in Maui. How long have you been in Maui? Uh, almost 10 years. Born and raised, nine okay. years. Born and raised in Washington. We've been here nine years. Yeah. yeah. Both of us. You were raised in Washington, Alyssa? Yeah, we both were from Federal, Seattle. Federal Way and Tacoma, for those who know the area. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Wow, okay. Well, my like huge condolences to you guys about Maui. And this was on like our group chat with the cohort, which Alyssa and I are in together, but just devastating. And just to just to know you guys a little bit and to see that happening just made it so much more real for me. Uh, talk about like what, what it's been like for you guys, because this hit close, like neighborhood-ish close, right? Yeah. So there was, for people that don't live here, it's a little confusing. Obviously when you watch the news, you don't really know the context or where those places are. The devastating, you know, historic deadliest fire of the last 150 years was Lahaina. That's about an hour away from us, but there was seven fires, I think six or seven all at the same time. And so there was one right by up where we lived at the same time. We were actually technically the first fire of the Island. Yeah, We, we, we got, we got woken up in the middle of the night and got evacuated with all of our iPhones and devices blaring at 4am. We had no power, 80 mile an hour winds. It's pitch black outside. We go outside and then we live on a mountain and just the mountain. And it's like kind of pasture Texas-y farm vibes up here. Just the pastures, just like glowing orange. And that was, that was surreal. And so we were out of the house in five minutes and like, I don't know if we're coming back to a house. Um, thankfully we were pretty much good. Uh, I think, I think there was technically three homes that got lost like a couple doors from us, which is really sad, but nothing like, um, Lahaina. So that's, that was, that was the crazy part for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think just because it's such a small Island, it's, um, like everybody is affected, you know, everybody knows somebody and, um, and so, yeah, it's just been, it's, it's interesting, like as a church community, how do you grieve with your community? You know, like I, we've grieved before, walked through people with grief, but when you're all grieving. Yeah, when, that, when an island-wide grief is a very interesting yeah. thing. Wow. Yeah, so that's been... Everyone's uh, just sad and depressed, and it's like all you can talk about at every restaurant, beach. It's really strange. And then, well, and then the economics too, because then they're asking no tourists to come and for all of them to leave. So then a lot of businesses have been hurting. Um, so it's just kind of like... Uh, turned the the whole island upside down. But um, the amazing thing to see is like how, because Hawaii is so family oriented and community based, like how people rally with each other and welcome them in their homes. And um, I feel like the church, I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? Cause I feel like the church is never before. Have I seen that many people in church and that like, you know, that many kids in church. So yep. um I think the churches are really stepping up and providing means for those that are hurting. So that's been really cool to see. Um, but yeah, it's kind of been just, I don't know, just somber. Yeah. yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. Well, one of the things you guys do is like clothing brand. I was able to see you guys just kind of opening up. What is it? Like, what is that space? It's just where you have 
some yeah so we, we, we co-own a, a clothing brand called new flora me and Alyssa, and then the the another husband wife couple that was really close to us they started it they um you know brought it to fruition years ago and then they asked us to come on board and invest and be kind of co-owners two years ago but yeah long story short it's a it's a pretty it's gotten really big and done really well a women's clothing brand but we, we ship everything out of california thousands of stuff and tons of stuff in warehouses out there but on our property here in Maui, we have a barn and the barn is like the headquarters for like the brain of the operation. So customer services here, we do all of our pictures, our media, our website stuff here. So because of that, we still have a lot of clothes here because we have to take pictures and we have to measure and we have to like do samples and you know, all that stuff. So we have a ton of clothes here. And so I don't remember who technically out of us for who had the idea, but um, maybe I think it was Alyssa. I think it's Jess. So the other girl. But yeah, so we just kind of said like, man, what would it look like to just kind of like give away all these samples and just, but they're brand new. Like we don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so we have, we've opened the barn and people come and shop. There's actually literally right now, someone in the barn right now, just like anyone, we basically said anyone who lives lost at home can just come grab anything they want. And it's been really fun. They, you know, it's like a shopping experience for them. And I think it's been really healing and dignifying. And so um, and it's been really fun for us to do it from our perspective. So yeah, and it's just so sweet to do like when you, you know, face to face. And I remember the first week it happened, a couple of the women came in and one was an older lady. And when she first came in, she like had a very big stutter. Like you couldn't even understand what she was saying because of the trauma. And then after her shopping experience, she was like smiling and speaking normal and just like, well, yeah, I was crying and giving hugs. Cause it was cool. Like we have amazing employees over there. And so they're giving them flowers, hugs, praying for them, asking their story. So it feels really humanizing. Yeah. And both those girls that day were like, this is the first time I've smiled. So it's yeah. just been really yeah. sweet yeah. on that end. Yeah. But I think it's just one example of every, every we're trying to, everyone on the island stepping up like yeah. that. So it's really cool. Yeah. Like whatever you got, put it to use, help, help, help them out. Yeah. It's the tragedy and some of the beauty that comes from it in the weirdest ways yeah. too. Right. And just big of you guys to do that. Interesting yeah. that the churches are full. Like it was just nine 11 at the time of this recording. I think we we're like, yeah, September 13th. Yeah. And I just remember with Tim Keller passing and stuff, just remember that was a very key moment of there's this tragedy. And yet the next uh -huh. Sunday, the churches were filled and like, yeah. it's just an interesting thing. So it's neat to see people like you in the church just stepping up to be that. And yeah the beautiful community. Um, Jeff, years ago, like I, I, it took me a while to like piece this all together, but years ago, I remember seeing that uh, you'll probably hate this. I just remember seeing like this YouTube video of this guy doing like a spoken yep. word thing about why he hates religion, yep. but he loves Jesus. Yep. I just like look that up today. That has 35 million views. What the heck? And then that, Isn't that crazy? I, yeah, it turned into a book, like a New York times bestselling book, I think. Right. Am I right? Okay. Yep. How, how how old are you? How did this all happen? Um, I'm trying to think where to go. It was 22, 22. Um, wow. and I was, it was just like, it was just for fun. I was not expecting anything. I think, you know, I just made a video. It, it looks very professional, but that's just cause my, I was 22 and my friend was 19 and just, he was really good at what he did. And we just were like, Oh, let's just upload it and see what happens. And so we weren't trying to do anything, build a platform, do a ministry. I was just like, let's just do something for fun. And that's what we thought would be fun. Um, and so, yeah, it was really cool to see the Lord breathe on it. it changed our life. I mean, there's not many people that I think can so acutely pinpoint one moment in their life that dramatically changed their life for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. And I can, that's really weird to be like a four minute thing completely changed the next 80 years of my life, like trajectory, right. where we live, how we work, what my job is. So that's kind of surreal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it was just, we did our best to try to steward it. And it was obviously, I don't actually wish to repeat it. It was so chaotic, so crazy, so much critique and like just spotlight for it was, all that stuff is, was not fun. But obviously I'm, you know, post that I'm like, Oh, okay. I'll, I'll take the good and the bad, you know? 
Did you guys know each other at that point? What'd you say? Yeah, we were dating. Yeah, we were dating. Oh, okay. Second round of dating. Yep. So that's right. That's great. Yes. There was a breakup in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like Alyssa, what did you think when this thing like just went viral? It was wild. I mean, um, it was just interesting because Jeff was living with a, ten other guys. He like shared a bunk bed with his best friend in the basement. Oh, I did. I shared. That's well, there was one bunk bed. We had but, different mattresses, yes. but okay, yes, you, wanna... you were on separate levels of that bunk bed. Yeah, separate correct? levels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. um, anyway, and he was in a job that he didn't love, but he was like, "This is where I'm at right now." And it was, um, but it's just like you just knew that. I kind of knew that the Lord like had more for him. And so I just remember waking up that morning, going to work and on my Facebook, it was just like Jeff's face. Like as I scrolled back, if you guys, if anyone remembers Facebook, like 10 years ago, it was just like on the feed, like Jeff's face all throughout. I'm like, this is wild, wow. but so cool. And it was really cool because a couple weeks before that, Jeff had gone to a young life conference and there's a couple ladies there that like prophesied over him, like not mm -hmm. obviously like using YouTube, but just like something big is going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so it was just cool to see like the Lord's yeah. preparing going before and then how he surrounded Jeff with certain men and mentors in his life as he walked through that. And yeah. um, that was a wild moment. I, actually, it, I forgot about the, the young life conference. Yeah. Cause that was, I was way less charismatic then or way less open to like spirit moving. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so like, so they, like, oh. And they were, and I, I would still, I'm charismatic now. I would still consider what they were more like, they were far on the spectrum. <laughs> and so I was like, I felt deeply uncomfortable. They pulled me aside. I just, I, I they're like, we have to say something. We have to pray over you. We got a vision, all this stuff. And I was right. just like, partly rolling my eyes, partly bitter about it. And partly like, this is dumb. Yeah. Um, and they, they said all that stuff. They just prayed over me and were like, they literally said it was, I can't remember the specificity of it, but it was very specific. It was like in a couple of weeks, like something big, like it was very specific. And I was like, Whoa, whatever. And I didn't honestly didn't even remember I, until a couple of days after the video. And I was like, Whoa, that was, Whoa. Mm -hmm. So that made me more, more open to the, to the Lord's uh, spiritual move for sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I, in talking about the Holy spirit around here, like uh, my, even just this morning, I started off a new year of like, we have these ministry interns at the church and it's just talking about that and, and just talking about the Holy spirit. And, and we come from a, the pendulum's often like wild yeah. charismatic, like that makes people uncomfortable or the pendulum swing to like, because it could get weird, nothing. We don't do anything. Totally. Right. And yeah. I, I, that whole idea of like test prophecy, like don't despise it, test it is, is something I, you know, I'm trying to work on exactly. myself is like, you know, what? if it's biblical, praise God. And, and stuff like that, yes. stuff like that, uh, helps us. <laughs> Helps us change our views a little bit when it confronts us yes. like that. Wow. Yeah. Um, so Alyssa, you wrote a book called Satisfied. I was mm -hmm. like reading about it today and you cover like topics like fear and anxiety and body image. There's this one line, be skinny, but not too skinny. Work and hustle, but stay home and be a good mom. Be wild and free while tidy and pure. Love your husband, but be independent. Like... Man, like, well done. I feel like, I feel like, man, that phrase right there encapsulates so much of the tension that like young women, young moms often feel. Yeah, women have to be everything right now, which stinks, but yeah. like, mm -hmm. so, so how in that climate, which I think you described so well there with all those things, all those moving parts going on, like satisfied, like, are you for real? Or how do you like, so what, how did you root that book? Like, where does that satisfaction come? Yeah. It's so interesting that you asked that because I just turned in my second book um, this week that is almost like going deeper, like a second layer on that very thing. Um, it's kind of about like when women are 
exhausted from managing all the outcomes. So it really talks about like all the pressure and expectations that women have. Um, but that, and, and I think expanding it more, like not just moms, but all women in this day and age, but for satisfied, it was really more like my journey as a young mom of how to be satisfied in a culture that expects so much. And so it was more like every day, like looking for the wonder and looking for God and being content. And, you know, Paul talks about like, I've learned to be content in all things. Mm. Um, And it was really like looking for all the little miracles that God is doing in the everyday. And now I feel like with the second book, it's much, it's a deeper layer of like, okay, all expectations and, and coming to the realization that you can't manage the outcomes. And so what do you do when like, you know, conflict isn't resolved and when, um, things continue to go on and you're still longing and, um, you walk through grief and those kind of things and really coming to the heart of God and how he is after our hearts more than what we can achieve. Like, I think for so many of us, um, we try to, we either like neglect our heart, like we just don't even want to go there. Um, and the busyness of life and, you know, like the, all the things that are expected, or we try to earn our heart by like, okay, you know, and I think especially five years ago, like all the blog posts and podcasts, it's like, you know, almost like, um, make your life amazing in five easy steps. And it's like, well, that's, yes, there's like some truth to that, but that's not what life is about. Seven steps. They got five right. And then I think, you know, I think especially as I'm more like mid thirties and moving on, it can be so easy in our day and age to lose heart. Like when grief comes and our dreams are shattered and, um, you realize no matter how hard you work, like your kids still have hard moments or don't walk with the Lord or marriages still fall apart or, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, really who is God and all that and what is his heart for us. And like, he wants to give us fullness of heart. And that's as we like are with him and full of him. And so, yeah, it's so true. The tension that women especially experience, it's almost like impossible. And I think it's like, you know, with the feminist movement, it's like women can do everything and everything that a man can do and all that. And it's like, it's just, with great opportunity, it becomes greatly overwhelming and mm. expectations can crush us. Yeah. Um, so what is God really like wanting from us? Yeah, that's great. Well, so the first one satisfied, this feels like the follow. Great to hear a manuscript went in because at our, know, on a monthly right. cohort, it's like the update. Right. It sounds Deal. like grueling. Yeah. Jeez. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we both turned in a book this year and it's like, that's a lot. That's a lot to write and do lot. together as a family and marriage. But yeah. yeah, but such a joy and a gift to be able to do it. So all that to say, yeah, I feel like this is almost like 2.0 of Satisfied. Mm-hmm. Going a little deeper. Do you know what it'll be called yet or no? Um, Right now, the holding title is When Doing It All Is Undoing You. Strong. Wow. Strong. That is strong. That's really good. Are you able to like work that into one of your assignments for the cohort and save yourself? Should save some work. Well, if I was a genius like Jeff, I would, but I tend to. You know, I did the cohort too back in the day, but I dropped out. I dropped out. Did you? But Alyssa made fun of me. Yeah, I did. Oh, wow. You can hold that over as Alyssa. You're a graduate. Yeah, my class was me, Brian McCormick, Evan Wickham, Dave Lomas. It was a really fun class. Oh, wow. You were in that one, eh? I yeah, heard that one had some fireworks. I, I, yeah, I dropped out. I dropped out halfway, but it because uh, I just don't like school. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but that's absolutely what I did. Those I would just—it's not cheating, but I would just literally use everything I was doing for my life and just turn it in. And Gary was like, well, "I think you know. that's the hope." Yeah, I just 
maybe this maybe this semester I'll be able to do that. Yeah, I try and do that quite a bit. Uh, yeah, that's great. Um, so, guys, uh, you wrote together "Love That Lasts," and it has to do with uh, what you call the better way of discovering love, dating, marriage, and sex. Like you found a better way. So, I'm just wondering, like, what are the not so great ways, and what is the better way? Let's start with the yeah the ways that that you need a better way for what, what are the wrong yeah, ways? It's fun to talk about that book. We haven't, that book is early on our publishing. So yeah, we haven't talked about that book in a long time, which is really fun. That was a fun book because we wrote, you know, we, you know, we wrote that in our maybe upper twenties. So 28, 20, whatever we were 27. So we weren't trying to write like a marriage legacy book. We were trying right. to, what we felt is, um, you know, we felt like there was not a lot of books and resources for the, for the like people that were like 22 and 21 and 25. And we're, you know, and like we read meaning of marriage, which is an insanely good book yes. for our counseling, like 15 years ago or whatever, 12 years ago. Yeah. Um, by Tim Keller. Yeah. By Keller. But it, but like, and again, it's an insane book, so, but it's yeah. like, but what you don't, what you sometimes don't get in books like that is the like millennial problems. It's like, okay, well, what is it like? Let's talk about dating apps. Let's talk about, you know, hookups and let's talk about like all the stuff that like, while still giving a vision for marriage and sexuality, not just like a dating book. So like, so it was an interesting blend that we tried to do there, but I think kind of, I just alluded to what I think I, you know, that book was writing to us. The problem is I think a couple of the problems we saw in our culture and our, it was really a book to our peers. And so I feel like what I feel like I would say, you know, kind of 35 and under now, um, would be these ideas of, you know, certainly a generation that kind of was raised on like Disney romance. And so you just like, man, there is no such thing as Prince Charming and there is no, you know, while also, no such thing as the one. yeah, no such thing as the one and kind of these things can really critically hurt uh, what you try to build for a family and marriage while also not negating, you know, gender dynamics and God's complementary nature of male and female and all these things. It's either, it's either like all Disney romance or it's like, Hey, we're all genderless and whatever is it kind of feels like these weird. And it's like, no, it can be, you know, both. And so I think that's kind of what we leaned into. Would you articulate it any differently of the, the problems? No, I think we really, it's so fascinating because now I'm like, Oh, if we wrote it now, it'd be, it'd be different. It'd be so say different. Eight, eight years ago or whatever. Like yeah. the cultural yeah. moment of gender and um, yeah. all of those things. I think it's changed dramatically even since we wrote it. True. Um, but I think just back then it was like, I think, yeah, I think Keller, all those books are so good. But when you, when you've been married for 20, 30 years, you forget what it's like at the very beginning. And then, so I think we really wanted to talk about childhood and growing up and like dating and then engagement and what that's like and how that, and what we really wanted to call it was love sick, mm. but um, it didn't get passed, but just kind of like all those things that like you long for, but it actually is making you sick and God's huh. better way of um, it's a way better title, but they just, for some reason, didn't agree to it. <laughs> but better way and how, like, I think when Jeff and I dated, Jeff was, you know, I grew up with like, I kissed dating goodbye. He was my first boyfriend, my first kiss, okay. all of that. Yeah. And then as a natural peacemaker um, and an only child, I just like hated conflict and we dated long distance. So I like never talked about conflict and I had all these really high expectations of what Jeff should be that kind of crushed us. And so, mm. and I think our stories are so different where Jeff grew up in a very different home, had a very different um, dating experience. So we just really wanted to like talk about both things and how, um, what God's real idea of like relationship and love and marriages and how to work through conflict, how to, um, all those things. So that was kind of, yeah, it's, it's such a, it is such a fascinating time. Cause there's like this, 
there's sort of like the purity culture crisis, like kind of like in the deconstruction going yeah. on, like it's kind of rooting through some of that, this kind of concept that, you know, some Christians growing up, I guess in like the nineties, we'd say, like, I guess we were, we were attached to that, that age group, but this idea that like no sex before marriage, keep yourself pure, but these kind of almost like a, a purity gospel, because then you'll have a yeah. great marriage because then you'll get great sex, yeah. like all those totally. kinds of things. 100%. Yeah. Um, and that's certainly there. And that's somewhat like broken and flawed and, and not robust enough in terms of a beautiful vision that, um, for sexuality and marriage that's in the Bible. It's, it's sort of a, a cheapened uh, version that does its own damage. But then on the other side, there's like a hookup culture and like a yeah, kind of self-satisfying yeah. kind of thing. And that's broken too. And it's interesting you, you touch on those and, and pointing towards a better vision. Um so yeah, I mean, time's changing so fast, like in the last few years, like, yeah, you, it's the situation's a bit different, but those, those pitfalls are still there. That's yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's your best marriage advice right now, you guys? <laughs> <laughs> Go to counseling. Yeah. Amen. Go to proactive counseling, meaning just yeah. like, I think there should be always someone in your life that's just coaching you. You know, I think counseling, that word has a stigma to certain groups. I think a lot of people now are very open to it. And I think we're a lot more therapeutic culture for good and for bad. But I think a a really good word to use for it is more like coaching. Like, it's just like, you need a, you need a marriage coach. You need someone that's constantly just like kind of getting out the whiteboard for your marriage and being like, Hey, this you're, you're, you're doing, you keep going off this way on this play, like stop doing that go, you know, the play is designed to go this way or whatever. And obviously it's a sports analogy, but, um, Coaching just feels more like pro- proactive, not not uh, reactive. Mm-hmm. And coaching feels very much like you inherently are believing that you need help rather than like wait to need help until something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. So I'd say, yeah, we're actually in a season where like we are trying to just go dig in a lot more. And we're realizing that, man, when you just keep pushing in it, like it really leads to a lot of growth and and blessing. It's hard work for sure. Cause I feel like anytime you get a level of plateau of fruit, you're like, this is amazing. And then maybe six months wears off and you're like, Oh, I, I see the next layer of what I need to do. I see it. You know what I mean? That's like so true. it kind of yeah. like pushes into these layers of de- depth and intimacy and closeness. Yeah. So um, that's what I would say is a big, big one. Um, and then obviously like, you know, one huge one that is kind of like our entire ministry is we always say like, you know, um, a family needs to be a team. A marriage needs to be a team and really pushing that analogy as far as it can go. Right. And so that's, that's, we can get into that um, now or later, but, but that's so critical for us as we constantly are feeling like we're constantly trying to sharpen ourselves as a team uh, roles, giftings, wirings, dynamics. What does that mean for a team? What does that mean for our mission collaboration, stuff like that? Would you say anything different? Yeah. Oh, oh. what would you say? <laughs> uh, no, I think that's so good. Have um, Matt, have you reading the rise and triumph of the modern self? It's a great uh, book. Um, I have it. And I've, I've like skimmed some of it. I have so many books to read and it should be a priority, but I haven't read great it book. through. I suggest people what? read strange yeah. new world though. Cause it's the shorter, shorter it, version of the It is thing. right. Yeah. I wish I was reading that. Well, anyway, it's for a book report and it's kicking my butt, but, um, and it, he just, I think my eyes have been so open to how, the enemy for one, which he doesn't necessarily talk about, but like the enemy and then just how like our history, it's all about disin, what do you call that? Disintegrating mm-hmm. the family. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and like, that's kind of where our culture is today of like all the things, all the conversations, family, marriage, gender, all like kids, all that. And so I just see it. I'm not done with the book yet, but seeing it in such a different light of like, man, 
the enemy is just so after ruining marriage and how that's like one of God's great vehicles to sharing the gospel. Um, one of it, like there's many other ways, but, and so I think marriage, you know, anyone who's been married for a hot minute, will just say like, it's so hard. It is like such hard work, but it's work that is like brings such fruit and it's so worth it. Mm. And so I think just like hope that if, someone that's listening right now that is walking through a really difficult thing in their marriage, like to keep walking through it and choosing to fight for it and to like surround yourself with mentors and friends that will hold you up when you can't. And that will give you how hold on to hope for you. And then like what I was saying, like just counselors or wise mentors to help you work through the places where you get stuck. Like it's just, and I think, I think even in really great, quote unquote, Christian marriages, it can be so easy to just get stuck and stay there and give up. Be like, that's too painful. That's too hard. Like, let's just, mm-hmm. or we're just too busy. So we don't have time to go there and to really, um, choose like, even if it's so painful, like that it's worth it mm-hmm. to fight for each other. And, um, so that's, that's like, great. that's great. That's what, I feel like, what we're in the middle of. And then what I would mm-hmm. encourage someone listening yeah. with. Yeah, I appreciate that. Marriage is so hard. And I think the iron, the irony for me that I have found is what makes marriage so hard is that it, it reveal what it reveals about myself. You know, it's not yeah. so much that like, oh, this person I live with is so hard. That's not what I find so hard is like, and this isn't original to me, but it's like your spouse holds up a mirror to you. Like yeah. they see you like nobody sees you and they show you yourself like you've never been shown before. And that is so hard, right? That is so hard. But like you say, if you'll lean into it, if you'll hang on, if you'll embrace it, if you'll get help, like um, it's a gift to see yourself as you are. Mm -hmm. And especially in in the Christian view, to see yourself as you are, but to know you're accepted and loved and that there's grace. Like, But man, it's right. It's tough to see ourselves. It's tough to... um, to work through that. And especially when our spouses are wrong. Right. Alyssa. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, so, uh, Jeff, you talked about, uh, like, like this team analogy, like, why do you like that so much? Why do you like, um, that team language for like marriage parenting? Yeah. I think the main reason is because it's biblical. Um, and what we kind of talk about with the ministry is, you know, I think there's so many things and, you know, anyone who's, you know, you don't have to go to seminary to realize this, but it helps the more you get training and dig into the scriptures that there's so much in the scriptures that's like hidden in plain sight. It's like, it's, it's obvious, but it's hidden because of the lens we're coming with. We're coming with such an American westernized, individualized 21st century therapeutic scientific worldview, whether we like it or not, that's just literally pretty much what everyone's coming with because of, yeah, where we're the age we live in. So and the water we swim in. And so I like one of those hidden in plain sight things is the book of Genesis and kind of that archetype, that archetypal trajectory God sets up for um, how he wants to bring his beauty and goodness and flourishing and order and mission to the world, right? Like, you know, he starts with this chaotic primordial evil, uh, you know, hovering over the waters, you know, and then creates order out of chaos and beauty out of, you know, chaos. Um, but then it's clear, you know, in the garden of Eden that, the Garden of Eden is not the whole world. I think that's a huge misconception. People don't really realize that, you know, we think that everything was just perfect and orderly and amazing and fruit and trees. And it was, but it was like, for lack of a better term, it was like a town, not the state. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the state was still a bunch of thorns and thistles and primordial waters and chaos. And, you know, like that. And so he kind of made like a, a, a 
a prototype, right? Um, and then he gives these human, basically before he creates demons, he basically is like, okay, kind of thinking as God, it's like a helpful thought experiment of like, okay, you know, he could easily snap his fingers and just make the whole world look like that, but he didn't do that. He made a prototype. The rest is so chaotic. How is he still going to get his mission, which is like making order and beauty out of chaos. And so he didn't have to do it this way, but he chose to make two, uh, image bearers, which is really interesting. Right. And they also made them different like male and female. Um, so somehow there's a complementarity there. And I don't mean, I'm not even making an argument for complementarianism. I just mean, there's, it's not two males. It's not two females. Um, compliment help each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's a male and a female. Right. And he basically says like, you guys, you guys need to join together to do this mission. So first of all, he doesn't, he doesn't create an individual. Mm. He creates a team. That's like obvious. Mm. If, if the job was able to be done by an individual, he would have just created one person. Mm. He didn't created a team. Then what's crazy is he kind of alludes to the fact that the mission is so, 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 so big that they will not be able to do it in their lifetime, even though technically there's an argument that they're immortal. Um, and so he, um, you know, if they eat the tree of the life, so then he says, um, you know, uh, what's the, why am I blanking here? Uh, what's the multiply line? Be fruitful and uh, multiply. Fill the yeah, be fruitful and multiply. So he's basically alluding to like, to do this, you guys still aren't enough. So I made a team. The team's not enough. You now need to multiply yourself so you have more team members downline generationally. Um, and then he, you know, uh, uh, kind of spins that into existence. So it's like from the beginning, we see this very specific pre-sin ordained way of not the only way, but one of the, I would say, main way A that God wants to bring in beauty and order uh, uh, out of chaos is a family team. Like that's literally what he creates. He could have created an app. He could have created a nonprofit. He could have created an organization. He could have. He could have. He could have created robots. He. It. It is actually really shocking to me that God's main solution to do His work is a multi generational family team on mission. That was His primary way. I never would have. If I was God, I never would have chosen that way. So that's like basically, you know, we can get more into the weeds on that. But I think that's such a fascinating and compelling vision of like, oh, if that's God's primary way in which he wants to bring his blessing into the world, then are we paying attention to that? Are we living into that? Um, I, I think it's also why, you know, you look on the flip side with Satan, why there's so much attack against the family is because it's one of God's main vehicles. And by the way, this is like not just a one-off, but it's proven literally every time God reenacts his promise. He literally goes to Noah you know, the whole shebang with Noah and all that story. And then the very end is be fruitful and multiply. You know, obviously we got Abraham and obviously the whole shebang there. And he's like, be fruitful and multiply. So it's like, it literally, he actually like constantly reaffirms that like, this is my way. I'm going to do this. Yes. Um, that's fascinating to me. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's interesting. So you guys have this thing called family teams. I want to hear more about that. And um, in a description about it, you, you guys refer to the Western view of family as a failed experiment. Can you just parse that out a bit? You want to talk about, talk about that? You should talk about it. It's your book. <laughs> <laughs> we both believe this, but Alyssa likes me to talk about it more. I mean, I can, I can fill in things. Um, yeah. Well, here. The Western see, see, there we go. I knew she was, I knew she had some, some heat. The Western idea of family is so individualistic. It's like, right. you know, everyone, it's all for their own flourishing, individually, independent, you do you. And then once you're 18, you like go and fly away. Like the bird mm. leaves the nest. And it's just not how that family is described in the Bible. The family is like very, um, 
as a team, we work together. How do we serve each other? And that it's not about you and your own needs. Although of course, like we consider each other, but it's about being a mission, partnering with the Lord and that every person on your team is needed to fulfill this mission as like the Smiths, the Johnsons, the Bethkeys. And, and that really it's multi-generational. And so it's like bringing grandparents in. I mean, it's very like a uh, very, Jewish way of doing family. Like they, they have it right in how to, um, go and fulfill a mission. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of like the nuclear family is just, it's, it's not like it, once the kids leave the house, it kind of dies. Yeah. You know, there's legacy. The Western family has a very, very short memory. The biblical family has a very, very long memory. Um, And I find it even, I find it super interesting again, that God himself chooses his name. His primary named identity in the old Testament is a named identity under the legacy of a three generational family. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm -hmm. That is fasting to me from his own mouth. Mm -hmm. He decides to make his primary name, about a generational family. That is so interesting to me, right? We couldn't even literally name that ourselves. We literally, I could go to any friend and there's no way a friend could name three of their dead generations, uh, grandparents. There's no way, you know, maybe yeah. they can name one. And I mean, dead, like it's all those, you know, he's referring to himself like that hundreds of years down the line. There's no way one friend could even name three all completely dead generations in their past, uh, you know, like the, 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 the grandparents name or whatever, but that's fascinating to me that God chose to make that his primary identity. That's the only way he refers to himself when he's referring to himself to Israel outside of uh, character descriptions like Jehovah Jireh and these things that like involve what he provides and all that stuff. It, that is so weird to me. Isn't that weird? That's weird. It is weird. So how do we, if, if, if you see God describing it this way, like he planned it this way, um, and then we see this sort of Western view of family as this failed experiment, how do we begin to apply God's way into uh, like, the Christian family today. How, how have you yeah. guys like, how's that? I think there's a couple of practical things. So, I mean, I think the team analogy is one of the most helpful analogies to help you just filter everything through. So sports team, I don't know, work team. Like there's a lot of like, think about both of those. Okay. Let's take those two analogies. Those are probably the most common sports team and a work, and a work team. You're Which right. I feel like is great because a lot of fathers can cling to that. Yeah. They're like, I get that. Yeah. I bet we can. What, yeah. <laughs> and this will also kind of highlight also probably how you're not acting as a family team. Um, which is really interesting. It's like a smoke screen that signals out kind of like how you've believed in the Western view of family. You know, um, imagine if you're at a Apple computers, like you're at the company. Okay. And let's say this is back in Steve Jobs day. What's the new guy, Tim Cook or whatever. Okay. Let's say it's Tim Cook. You're at an all hands on deck meeting or whatever. And just, you're like, you know, an employee, you're like, Hey Tim, like, why are, what's the whole point of this? Like, why, why, what's, what's Apple for? And he goes, I don't know. And you go, okay, well, do we have like any direction or mission? And he goes, no, I don't know. You know, and you go, okay, well, why am I high? I don't know. Like, it's just, I don't know to everything, right? Directionally and mission oriented. You'd be like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And they'll probably go bankrupt in five minutes. Um, I'm out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably every single family though. If you were, if a kid were to ask the dad, those same questions, they, that's would be his answer. Right. Uh-huh. Meaning like we don't, we don't live directional and missional oriented, but yet we would, but we don't think that's weird. But the, we know that in a sports team, 
Like you would be like, well, why are we here? I have no idea. What are we doing? I have no idea. When instead it'd be like to win a championship, to train, to play, to beat the to enemy, you know, to, to all these things you could like clearly articulate. And I think that just shows that like, oh, because they're, that's what teams do. That's what teams do. Only yeah. individuals yeah. would say, I don't know, like what you, I'm not, we don't, we're not that involved. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's kind of a helpful smoke signal, but it could also really help you on the other side of like, just what, what would that look like? Teams have uniforms, teams have secret handshakes, teams have missions, teams have championships, teams have practices, teams have games, teams have coaches, like blah, blah, blah. Right. So I would just say that is literally the most practical first step is like take everything I just said and be like, what would that be in our family? You know, I think families are just so reactionary and like we let everything happen to us and we kind of like submit to everybody else, which there's some things that we need to submit to. Like, you know, if you send your kids to school, like you're submitting to that school, but really to take ownership of your family and like have a vision and direction and to be able to articulate that to your kids and your wife. And, and so that you're all going together someplace. And even like coaches, like Jeff talks about, you're always like taking in inventory is the wrong word, but like um, of each player on the team. Like what are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Where You're do- particularly tuned in to their giftings, wirings, yes. and how that's necessary to help the team. Yeah. And that is so needed in yeah. families. And especially in our culture today, where it's like everyone's telling our kids what they need to be or who they are or questioning it. It's like we as mentors, adults, parents, like we need to be speaking life into our kids and like, this is who you are. These are your strengths. These are your weaknesses. We're going to work on that together. Like just really taking more intentionality with your family um, and and working as a team. And it's deeply empowering too. I think sometimes people hear this at first and like, oh, that's a lot of pressure on the kids. It's like, actually, it's the opposite. Actually, the, the, the reason that you know, Jewish kids don't leave their faith nearly as much as evangelicals is because they actually have a purpose. We give our kids no purpose. We just give them safety and comfort mm-hmm. and safety and comfort does nothing to actually transpose a faith. Purpose now, safety and comfort is good, but it's like 5% of a coach's job, right? Like, sure. When I send my kid to the baseball team, I, I hope the coach keeps them safe, but that just feels like a non-starter. Like, of course, but to the Western Christian evangelical parents, that's like the whole game. Keep them safe, keep yeah, them comfortable. It's, it's like, no, that's, that's dumb. And so I think, um, there's so much more. Yeah, there's a lot there. Though I was gonna say one thing though. I think um, I lost it. I lost it. It was there. If it comes back, I'll let you know. What else about how to? It was whatever. What were you finished up saying? Oh, you were saying something that sparked something. The weaknesses, in me. the t- empowering them. The empowering. Thank you. So there's a fascinating Great study, team, guys. Great team. This was, yes, <laughs> this is one of the most fascinating studies that I footnoted in, in my Take Back Your Family book, where psychologists have proven this that the the highest need of a child when he's under age four is self-esteem and like safety, right? Mm -hmm. Like attachment and safety and self-esteem. But we in the West think self-esteem is the game until they're 18, Mm -hmm. right? But what they found is post, post four. So five to 18, the biggest need the kid has that determines their success, their grades, their job, their income, their college, all of those predictors is contribution, Mm -hmm. meaning that they actually have something to give to the minute a kid has like this devolved world that just collapses on them. And there's nothing more important than them is actually the most harmful thing you can do to a child. Mm -hmm. And they really don't need that much self-esteem. Of course they do like teenage, like all those reasons, but they, they found that them having something they can contribute to that is larger than them is a bigger predictor for their success than whether they have good or bad self-esteem. That's fascinating. That totally makes sense, right? I mean, I think part yeah, of we want something to be a part of, like yeah. everyone does, and, we, yeah. and parents actually strip that from kids by the kind of environment we create. Yeah, I think it's part of the crisis we have right now of just meaninglessness. Like, what's this all for? Right? right? So many people exactly. are just lost with that, 
And yet Gen Z, uh, I'm, I'm translating my English for you guys, Gen Z, not, not Gen Z the right way. Um, yes. The proper English. Um, but right. They, they want to be a part of a movement. Like it's, it's, it's a desire to be a part of something that matters. Like the, the authenticity levels in like this young generation are fascinating to me. And I think a lot of us older folks, I have to start putting myself in that category. We're just handing them like so little. It's just yeah. like yeah. safety and comfort and yeah. bigger bank account. Like, it's just like, that's yeah. so exactly. pointless. It's, just, it's, it's, it's part of the game, but it's not the whole game. And the fact yeah. that we like make it the 5%, the 100% is a, is a big, uh, bad, it's a bad thing. Yeah. Well, that's well said. Well, as we start to wrap this up, like, can you just put this like team concept a little bit more into like, I don't know, like the great commission, our purpose as Christians, why we exist. Um, it goes back to the garden and the way God made yeah. it. How do we apply this as Christian families? Yeah. A little more meat on the bone as we wrap up. Totally. Well, I think it's exactly what you just said. That's my favorite part about the scriptures is that mandate never goes away and it gets reaffirmed every time God has that crossroad moment with a per, per, a representative or a new covenant or whatever. And he constantly reaffirms that missional mandate from the garden around a team. But what's interesting is once you jump to the new Testament, it clearly then supersedes and jumps above the nuclear family. Right. So it's certainly, I would say the family, right. Again, mom, dad, kids, or whether it's a, a blended family, divorced family, there's grandparents, like the, the whole shebang, right. That whole like generations, a bunch of kids, a bunch of, well, it, it, your team can look different, but whatever that family is, is now subservient to the capital F family, the church, yeah. but we are tools in that web to serve the church. Like still like, so maybe another way to say it is the primary tool of the church is the family. Um, mm. And so I feel like, and I don't mean that in the nuclear way, again, I just have cute little perfect kids and amazing family. But okay. Cause I see when I use the word family, I think like five generations, grandmas, grandpas, uncles, all that stuff. Um, so whether you're, even if you're single, you're still a part of a family team. That's what I, that's, I think people have envisioned like, oh, I'm a single 25 year old. So I'm not a part of a family team. I'm not married. I don't have kids. You have a last name. Go, you're obviously a part of some web. Um, so, but the, that mission is so critical that go, like go make disciples of all nations. And I think of not the only way, but a very strong way that we can do that. Certainly in the West right now is through the family, because again, you have it's a team. So it's like, how much better is that than an individual? You have giftings, you have resources, you have wirings. And so you can push into that. And then also for the people that maybe are the only believer in their family, yeah. that's when you get to kind of come outside of that and be like, wow, I, I'm actually part of a bigger family. And so I'm going to give my life to the bigger family. Um, and we've seen that a ton, but, but yeah, to me, it seems like the great commission actually seems like a logical conclusion of that reaffirmed thing all throughout the old Testament. But I don't know, would you have anything to that or see anything to that? Last no. word, Alyssa. No pressure. Last word. You know. <laughs> and obviously, for parents that do have kids, and you have like a normal, uh, uh, like, uh, like, a, um, I would say, making disciples of your own kids yes. is yeah. one of the is, is is such a stronger long term play than trying to like make disciples outside of your home. If that makes sense, mm -hmm. just because I feel like when you have 20 years with someone in that kind of in context and environment, yeah. the math is really strong on what that does to multiplication. If everyone was doing that, mm -hmm. yeah. Last word. I don't, that's so good. I don't have a lot of It's great. It's great. The only just <laughs> I have to give, by the way, she can talk more if she wants, is I just because if people are watching this, I yes, know, I didn't say it. Yes, I did finish playing pickleball. And yes, I am super oh. sweaty. I promise. I promise I don't get that stressed when I do podcast interviews. 
I promise it's just <laughs> I played pickleball up until three minutes. Of this uh, I podcast. thought I put you on the hot seat, man. No, and we were talking about this before uh, we pressed record. Alyssa is sacrificing most by sitting so close to you. Yes, I'm not uh, going to say I'm sweating right, from sweaty. pickleball, but you guys yes. have been an absolute blast. It's been fun to chat with you, Alyssa. It's great being in a cohort with you. I'm going to see you tomorrow, actually, for like eight nine hours. You start at five a.m. in Maui. I get to start oh. at eight a.m. God bless Thank you. you. Thanks, guys. This was fun. Thanks, Matt. This Thanks for having us. Family as a team on mission. Such a great concept, a biblical concept, as we saw, and just so, so good. Lots of inspiration there to draw from about living with purpose and seeing marriage and family and all of life through that lens. Hey, keep your eye out for Alyssa's forthcoming book. Yeah, it's been a blast being in a cohort with her, gleaning from her wisdom on a regular basis. Super fun to meet Jeff. Uh, first time and didn't quite know what to expect, but he is like my favorite kind of guest. Tons of energy, lots of great things to say, the kind of guest where you just turn them loose and they carry it. So thank you, Jeff. That was a blast. Um, I commend their work together um, with family teams to you. Check that out. Uh, I'm also including uh, a link in the show notes to a church in Maui that you can still make donations to in order to support those affected by the devastating fire. I'm grateful to hear of the kind of response spiritually and also very practically, including what the Beth Keys are up to out there. And we just want to fan that into flame. Thanks so much for listening to Deep Thoughts. I hope it helps you in fostering deep faith. We're a homeschool family, but they go to private school. I, I'm, I refuse to give up the identity. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about it's it. A helpful, it's a helpful descriptor. I feel like I know who you are, but <laughs> I feel like that's, that's what I mean. Like our right. identity is a homeschool family. Totally, right? Yeah. You're meant to go to private school for one year. <laughs>